I'd like to welcome everybody to the House of Bricks podcast, where we are teaching business leaders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really people in all walks of life of how to use life's experiences for you and not carrying them with you and letting them weigh them down. And so today I have a very special guest joining us from across the world in India and someone I've known for the last five or six years. And he has a lot of great life experience that he's going to share with us and uh, very excited to have him on the show. So Dr. Rajat Arora, welcome to the House of Bricks. Thank you, Adam, for the introduction. Uh, Namaste to everyone. I'm here from Delhi. Let's share my experiences with uh, Adam. Thank you. And thanks for joining us. And so you have quite a an interesting professional career, uh, but I'd also like to talk to you a little bit about your upbringing. Uh, for those of us, you know, in in the United States, when we went to elementary, middle school, and high school, like the United States represented eighty percent of the global map. So, educate us a little bit of uh, just you know, kind of your upbringing, childhood, uh, and a little bit about your parents and the family business. You know, Indians typically, you know, the days of 70s and 80s were very different from what it is today. Uh, and, you know, those days, parents, you know, like I am a parent today, I have two kids, but parents those days, you know, did not really have time uh, for their kids, particularly Indian parents, I would say. And, you know, so my father decided that, you know, my father is a doctor and so he decided, and my mother is also a doctor, so I decided that they couldn't obviously give me appropriate time or enough time, so decided to send me uh, to a boys' school. So that's where the whole experience started. But, you know, uh, the traditions uh, and, you know, that their teachings, you know, uh, continued even into the into the school, uh, in the boarding school. So from, I would say, the middle school and the high school, that's what we call it. We call it the standards here in India, you know. It's STDs or, or the class, whatever, you know, some people like to call it. Uh, so from, uh, from the seventh to the, you know, the high school, that's the 12th standard. I spend my life in... Uh, Sindhya School. That's a about a uh, about a hundred years old uh, school started started by the British at some point of time, even before the independence. India got independence, and so spent about seven years there. And that's when I came back and decided to become a doctor. So when you say boarding school, we obviously have those in the United States. But what is a boarding school schedule like, or is it very? privileged opportunity or is it commonplace for for kids to be able to do that? Well, I wouldn't really call it a privileged opportunity, you know, but is that obviously those days, the number of board schools in India were very, very few. And, you know, number of people who wanted to get into were far more. So it was very, very difficult to get into. You needed the right kind of education and then being in the right extracurricular activities to be really getting into a boarding school. And boarding schools are obviously you know, reasonably tough those days. Their schedule, I remember, we used to, you know, the early days used to be awake by 5.45 and, you know, getting ready, having a morning prep, you know, they call it one hour of study at that point of time, having breakfast, limited breakfast, never has to be the kind of breakfast the kids would want today. And then school, few hours of school, back, another prep, and then, you know, sports time. So sports was very, very integral part and you know we spend about two hours of sports so you know any any kid irrespective of his his size or his intent or you know his whatever you know he had to spend two hours in the field which was very very important you know if you look at today's kids you know they 
you know, seemingly very few kids would spend uh, that kind of time in a, in a, in a sports activity today. And everybody's too busy in their phones or they're, you know, into their studies or whatever, or video games. But we, you know, as kids, we never got a chance to do all that because we were always in the field, two hours of field day every day, irrespective of weekends or weekdays. And then your, your, your dinner and study. So it was, it was a, a, a tough uh, six to seven years that I spent there, you know. And so you mentioned earlier in the show that your your dad's a doctor. I know you're a doctor now, and you kind of mentioned you were there for seven years. And it was like, and I want to be a doctor also. So growing up in the family business, was that something that you, you know, it sounded like you wanted to to get right into it. Were there other things that you considered or was, I'm going to be a doctor and, and this is the path I want to travel? Well, Adam, you know, I understand the information in, in, in 80s or 90s were very limited, you know. You never had that kind of opportunities. Even think that what your father would say or what you have seen your father doing, you would decide to, you know, deviate from that direction. So it it had been a natural course of becoming a doctor, you know. So you see your father working as a doctor, your mother working as a doctor. It's a natural course that the only option that you have would be a doctor. And I've seen this all through uh, those years in school also where all my colleagues who eventually became doctors almost all of them had their parents or at least their you know close uncle or aunt to be a doctor i, I need to get some advice from your parents cuz you know two of my kids think i'm really awesome and two are like dad what is this house of bricks thing that you're doing i don't even understand it so I, I got to get some lessons from them of how to get the kids to uh to buy into to what you're doing happy so to share that yeah Going into the family business, obviously a very difficult field, requires you know a lot of schooling. Uh, but I, I thought I noticed you also have your MBA as well. Is that correct? So you know, I'm a cardiologist. It took me about almost my you know in India, the, you know it's how it is. It's a graduation. Unlike US, where you have a pre med. In India, we don't have a pre-med. We have a, a, a medicine where you become a bachelor of medicine, which is called as MBBS, which is about uh, four and a half years of study and one year of internship. That's total of five and a half years. And then, then you have three years of post-graduation, which is equivalent to residency in US. And then after the post-graduation, which is called an MD, where you, a lot of US doctors, you will find you know writing you know their name and their MD next to it. That's what is an MD which is same as, as in US, as in India. And then post that, they have another three years of super specialization. So almost what, what five and a half plus three plus three, that's about six plus five and a half, about 11 and a half is, is the bare minimum that you would spend becoming a super specialist doctor. And then, you know, there is always this challenge in India where, you know, you will not be able to get, uh, 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 you know, the, the seat that you aspire to or the college that you aspire to or the university that you aspire to. So you probably have to study a year more, get into the exam, crack the exams and then get into. So, you know, it took me probably 13 years uh, to become uh, what I am, you know, a cardiologist. So that's a long journey. And post that, yes, when I came back, uh, you know, and uh, started my practice as a cardiologist. Few years, I realized that, uh, you know, I wanted to do more. I wanted to, uh, you know, contribute more to the family business that, you know, my father was, you know, you know he has his own ways, own traditional ways. I, I wouldn't say it wrong, but then the world had changed over years. And, you know, that's why I, I realized that, you know, 
though I could do it, but then in an MBA would certainly help me uh, to do it better. It will open my 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 eyes to a wider world. It would uh, you know make my vision more clear. I would have the right connections, the right network, the right understanding of how a business should be. So that's the reason why I decided to you know I had to go to the school uh, you know. And that's when I went to Kellogg School of Management. So I, I did go to school for 13 years also, and I got a high school degree. So we're, <laughs> we're, I'm, I'm in the same boat, same boat as you. So uh, as you know, I've you know started multiple businesses in different industries. I didn't go to school for healthcare, but I started a healthcare analytics business. I didn't have a technology background, but started a mobile technology company. Also played professional basketball at 32 years old. So I like to tackle the impossible things. Uh, and when I listen to your story, obviously very well educated, but you do have an entrepreneurial mindset just from my interactions with you. And I know your your wife you know, has her own uh, business as well. A lot of doctors aren't very entrepreneurial minded just because of the risks that it takes. And they're probably too smart to start and do some of the things that and the risks that I would do. But how do you balance, you know, that mindset of the the medical mind versus being an entrepreneur? And how are you able to get those two to fit together? You know, Adam, if you look at, uh, if you look at world world over, you know, I think it's a, a set or it's probably a blessing that I have that I, you know, if I had to do entrepreneurship in healthcare, I and I'm particularly in, uh, in hospitals that I am, I'm blessed to be a doctor, you know, why? Because uh, if you even go by the data, you look at data of Mayo School or you know, or you know that the top the top universities, the health universities or hospitals, John Hopkins and stuff like that in in US, you will always find, and this debate can you know go anywhere, that you will always find the top guys to be doctors as the presidents or the vice presidents. Even you know they're they're not the MBAs who, who are leading the, leading the race, and and the reason in the reason is. Healthcare, hospital particularly, is business that is run with a heart. You know, you can't be just a, a finance guy, you know, just tackling numbers or you're looking at patient as as products. You know, you'll always have to look at uh, patients as, you know, as patients with, with empathy, with compassion. And that certainly, I think, is is would probably be more if you're a doctor at the helm of the affairs. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a blessing that I, you know, you know, I became a doctor and then got into the the business of of healthcare. And so, for our listeners out there that are in a family business, it sounds like you and your dad have a great working relationship. I'm sure there's challenges, but any learnings that you had along the way that helped you guys develop that type of working relationship? Because family and business can create a lot of challenges. Also, I mean, it. It's very muddy with the personal family and then the business relationship. What were some of the challenges that the two of you faced and how did you work through them? So, you know, there's, I had a, a massive challenge. You know, times my dad would, would, you know, won't even talk to me for days together. He will think that I would finish off all the business that he's created over three decades. You know, he would even tell me times that, you know, you go away. Why, did, why are you just spoiling my business? But then I, I realized that, you know, the, the important aspect of any business, you know, any two people, you know, working together, it's exactly the same that you would do with your, your with, your, with your father or mother if you, if you work together, and that is the communication, the right communication. So we, I understood that perspectives can be different. The way you know, if you look at this 
this, you know, one, you know, you heard of that Tibetan monk saying, you know, when they look at an elephant, it is, you know, everybody has a different perspective, depending on which side are they looking, someone who's looking at elephant from below, versus someone who's looking at the elephant from top versus from the front or the back, they'll all, they'll all be looking at the elephant, yet they will be they will be coming up with a different definition of what, what an elephant would would look like. Someone would say they have a they have a long nose. Someone would say they have a it's like a tail, or someone would say they have their pillars like like legs. So you know, I realized that I had to understand his perspective, which was very very important. And I thought everything that I did or said was right, which obviously I realized I had to communicate why and why. There was always this why which I had to communicate to him. You know, if the communication was right, then he would eventually step back. But don't expect your your father or your mother to step back from the day you get in. We, that's what I did. I did I did the wrong way. I decided, no, you know what? I am the the highly educated cardiologist here, you know, and you know who's 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 spent so many years, and here I am bringing in a change in, in few days, which obviously won't happen. He wouldn't step back because he's done it all his life. So you have, if you need the space to to work freely, you will have to get into his close circle. You will have to get the trust that he needs from you, and that would take its own time. And communication, you know, the the day you decide that the communication is not intact or the communication is not direct, that's when a lot of family business collapse. Thankfully for me, you know, over years, you know, now he's kind of stepped back. And the other thing that we've we've also learned is that you know, division of of labor, you know. Simple sense, you know what work he does. I don't, you know, get into that work, and what he, what I do, he doesn't get into that. So we've, you know, we've clearly defined our our work. You know, I have let him do the uh, the the you know the negotiation part, or you know, uh, getting a new machine stuff like that, or you know, and I, I do the rest of the growth part, and you know, the operation part and stuff like that, or you know, the the newer businesses. So I think uh, that also is very important. And, you know, uh, my father is 73, 74 now, and he doesn't want to step back. Uh, and, and I see a lot of uh, people who who worked all their life, they don't want to step back uh, uh, from the business that they've created. So you need that space. You would have to give them some space. So family or not, what you're talking about is really good, right? It's It's communication, putting the right people in the right seats on the bus. I've learned this over time not trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, right? So recognizing people's skills and strengths, leaning into those strengths, and then building the right team around you. That's been the key to my success for 25 years is I'm very, very good at the 5% that 99% of the people in the world can't do. If you follow that math, I'm the 1%. (laughs) And then finding the right people around you that can you know do the blocking and tackling that creates the space for you to cast vision and continue to to lead the company. So recognizing skills, communication, it's great and especially important when family's involved. And so, with your dad, when you entered into the family business, did he say, "Hey, great job, Rajat, in getting your degree, but you're emptying the trash cans for the first three years here? Or did you kind of move in at a higher level? I mean, I know you came in as a doctor, but you understand the point. Did you, did you have to work your way up um, the system or did you come in at, at a higher level than, than other doctors? Oh, it is, it is, I was, though I was certainly a privileged one, uh, very few doctors in the country would, would have a, a hospital backup. But then the way up was extremely, extremely difficult and extremely challenging. And, you know, 
the expectations were very very high you know being uh, you know being the owner's son uh, and you know again uh, not getting the space was another challenge but you know it took me what i would say almost what 5 years to even you know get into the position of of decision making you know so it takes its own good time sweet spot uh, to get into that uh, that space and so enough about you i'm going to talk about the real important member of your family your wife i see her on facebook and and linkedin and she's doing something amazing there and i've just seen great story after great story can you tell us what she's doing and the impact that she's making so you know gauri uh, we got married back in 2010 and you know we came back to work uh, after my 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 cardiology residency in 2013 and that's when you know she came back to delhi and then she started her own ibf clinic and again she had a similar challenge you know she because my 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 mother is a gynecologist and you know and she had her own you know busy practice she's a very popular gynecologist in this part of the country she she wanted to make her space she was desperate enough to make her space and she you know she realized that you know she couldn't get anything in the in the hospital and you know from the day one uh, she wanted to do something of her own and you know she would go to uh, small uh, periphery uh, you know uh, you know hospitals or clinics and you know she she would start her practices from there and that's when she became you know she picked up things very very quickly and she would she started having a huge following and i remember back in 2015 uh, we started our own our first uh, ivf clinic in in uh, southern part of of delhi which is the the most uh, you know i would say uh, the the uh, where all the rich people of of delhi live uh, you know that's where she started a clinic and now you know she has about 18 uh, clinics of her own across uh, north of india and she started one in um, muscat a few months back and looking to start the next one in 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 dubai so she had a difficult uh, you know uh, uh, beginning I, i would say a challenging one but then you know she was she was clear that she wanted to you know start her own and diverged in that direction very very quickly so and uh, you can see now if you look at uh, you know uh, her as a, as a doctor i would say she is one of the most popular doctor in the country and you know she has a a huge uh, following uh, uh, you know as an ibf specialist in the country so tell us about the clinic and what it's specifically doing what the what the business does and like who are your clients are you kind of working uh, or patients with with anyone or is it you know a high end privilege um, that people have to work with her so you know ivf is in vitro fertilization you know uh, you know a lot of people call it test tube baby also in 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 a in a more simpler language why it is important is if you look at uh, the data there about uh, 15 to 17% of of parents you know parents who are you know in, who are intending to have a baby not able to have a baby so when you look at uh, india's population you know of a 1.4 billion population today and probably if i would say about 20% of them uh, are are uh, couples intending to have a baby at some point of time and if you look at those 20% if you go by 15% of those 20% you're still looking at a, a massive population here who intend to have baby and not getting not having a baby so it's a huge disease uh, you know to have and you know there is a huge unlike a lot of western countries 
in india not having a baby is a huge social stigma to uh, to women particularly to married women and in it is always the woman to be blamed I'll, you know uh so even if the man has some issue or the husband has some issue it will always be the woman to be blamed in the family their mother in laws their their uh, their father in law or even the relatives you know sometimes you know let's say they they meet in in a uh, in a in a party and they you know questioning oh look at her they, she's she's unable to have a baby and then you know uh, using things or saying things that they shouldn't be saying and it's extremely hurtful you know it is a lot of people even having divorces because the woman is unable to conceive or or the or whatever the couple is unable to conceive they're having divorces they're 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 in laws telling them to move away or live somewhere else uh people undergoing going into depression psychosis anxiety issues uh you know stuff like that and they've been actually being out uh, you know I, I as an outcast from the society they're not even accepted in, the, in their own relatives but let's say our relatives have to get together you're not even accepted because you you like oh, oh she, she probably would pass on the same genes or something to to other 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 members in the family so that's how bad the social stigma of you know of not having uh, to conceive or you know having not having a child has become in in the society though we are extremely forward looking society if you look at today but that some of these things which have gone from our history i still very very uh, susceptible or very very you know you can actually feel it into our society on on a daily basis you know Uh, you know when you when you meet people in uh, as couples and if you if they don't have a baby you you know you you tend to have that feeling okay there's something missing it's never that they decided not to have a baby it's always that they were unable to have a baby so what gauri is doing you know she, if if she so it's it's a huge uh, i would say service uh, that that you know that she is doing to these couple yeah and i know just from our conversations and just culturally the family unit in india is is everything right so being able to have children grandparents like the whole family unit is a representation of you know really who you are and just that ability to have children and so forth and so what a rewarding profession right it probably doesn't even feel like a job i mean the ability to you know create that opportunity uh for families and especially you know the things that you talked about in india do you keep track of how many success stories she's had oh she i i the only way i get to know a success story is when i see it on the facebook or the linkedin or 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 instagram you know she keeps but <laughs> she likes putting up a lot of pictures on uh, on on the social media and you know a lot of these uh, parents who you know uh, parents who come with their babies and then you know they're they're expressing their the gratitude uh, towards her and i think the gratitude uh, or the or the Uh, you know the how thankful they are i think that's what ke- keeps her going you know it is certainly not the money which is the driving force it is the love that you know she gets i you know in india you know uh, sometimes and it is it, it is uh, you know how it is and you can imagine how uh, what how imp- what importance the kids have uh, you know into our family into our lives you know i have seen parents Uh, so you know we we when we go to the god uh, you know when you go to our temples we we bend down and we we literally you know thank god for whatever we are and that's for how we pray so you know they coming and literally touching your feet like you touch or uh, to our we touch our feet or for elders you know to take their blessings uh, you know that's how that's how they look at uh, look at her as a doctor you know they're 
literally relating her uh, to to God, you know, to to because she was the one who was able to give them, uh, you know, what they were, what was so precious or what was so important to them. Helping create life, extend family into to multiple generations. So that's just super inspiring to hear and well deserved because you both yeah. are are great people. So. As you know, the House of Bricks podcast, right? We're we're teaching people how to use life's experiences for them. It seems like you've had a great path to get to where you are today. What is the biggest challenge that you've experienced along the way? Maybe something that you wanted to happen that didn't happen. And now that you look back, you're happy that it didn't happen. It led to, to something better. So give us an experience uh, that you viewed as a negative at the time and how you use that to propel you in your career? So the one that, you know, immediately comes to my mind is, you know, we had, uh, we started one hospital and, uh, you know, we had some regulatory issues and that is back in 2017, I remember. And uh, I had recently, I joined my MBA at that point of time and uh, we had started a hospital and, uh, you know, it had to, it couldn't really take off because of regulatory challenges. And I remember my, I had invested a lot of money into that. And I remember it took me one year, you know, uh, to get all those, you know, to clear up all the regulatory challenges. And, you know, we had to invest a lot of money to do a lot of architectural changes, you know. Uh, so what I learned was, you know, during that one year, you need to, whenever you do something, uh, you know, you cannot be dependent on, on people uh, outrightly. You will have to do a lot of things by your own self. You will have to read, you will have to understand, you will have to ask, you will have to, you know, you meet the experts to do a lot of things. Don't expect your, uh, uh, you know, your uncles, your your close friends would give you the right advice. So always meet the right experts, uh, you know, to understand how things are. You know, I was, you know, I failed at that point of time because I didn't, I did not do, I did not, uh, you know, I depended on people who I should not have depended. So, you know, I, that was one big lesson I, and I learned. And that one year was very, very, I, I, and I'm thankful that one year happened because I, it taught me to do things that I thought I it was not my job. So I realized that there was nothing that was not your job. When you're an entrepreneur, everything is your own job. You cannot be dependent on people. It is your job. You have to get it correct. It is, you will have to be part, part party to it. You cannot be dependent on some some person to do to, to the job. Otherwise, you will certainly fail. So you're starting a new business, starting a new hospital, do it yourself, learn it yourself, be be involved into it. And I, I didn't do that. So I, that's a big lesson. Also, one year when I was, when, you know, when this whole thing was happening and, you know, uh, when I was uh, doing nothing, I realized one very important thing that I was learning in MBA and that was networking, you know. And we as doctors are extremely poor networkers and, there was one thing that I learned, you know, there were three things that, you know, MBA, uh, you know, uh, they talk about networking. They, they always talk about three important aspects of, of, of networking and which is diversity, one. And the second is the trust and the third is the warmth uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the relationship. And all these things, I actually uh, felt I, I utilized it in my favor, what I was learning at that point of time. And I I met the right people to understand how things were. I met the right people in the administration to network so that my things could go off. And that was my turning point of my life. Though it was it was it was terrible, I would say. Those that one year was extremely terrible, but the learning was massive. And I think if 
if that wouldn't have happened, I would have probably not been able to build up three hospitals today and, you know, going to the fourth one very, very soon. And it is that turning point in my life, that difficult turning point that, you know, that, that changed the whole thing. So to play that back for our audience as well, and I've, I've found some of those same pillars really in my success as an entrepreneur. I was a 20-year-old kid when I started. It didn't, didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew I wanted to do it. I wanted to win. I wanted to be successful. But one thing I did do early on is surrounding myself with an advisory board. You know, they say wisdom is found in the counsel of many. And so you can't get experience through a book. You can read it, you can learn about it, you can talk about it, but until you live it, you're not really embracing and, and understanding the knowledge that you're reading and gaining until you actually implement it into a business make decisions, read, react, and then continue to, to make progress. And so getting yourself uh, a group of people that you trust, people that are where you want to be or have gone through what you're going through, they have that experience to help you get to where you want to be and get you through your current situation. So surrounding yourself with uh, a group of advisors, it doesn't have to be a formal advisory board, but meeting people that have experience in whatever you're trying to accomplish. The second thing, life is not really about what you know, but it's who you know. And so building the right relationships with people, not with the intent of your own benefit, but being able to serve them, add value. And then the more you give, the more you'll eventually receive back. And so those are two great points uh, for people out there to listen to. And so I think back to when you and I met the first time. It was in Dubai. We couldn't pick a better place to meet at the Burj Al Arab, a six-star hotel. Yeah. Incredible place. I still pinch myself time, sometimes to think that. I remember putting, uh, I think I had to put down a $20,000 deposit just on the, on the iPad in the room. It was 24 karat gold. So uh, great experience. And it was, it was great to meet you there. So our purpose in being there was to talk about legacy. And you're in a family business now, family unit, very important in your culture. And for you as a family, what do you view as the most important parts that you've received from your parents? Uh, because as a dad, I know I want my ceiling to be the kid, you know, be my children's floor that they're able to build from, right? I don't have to, I want them to learn through their own experience, but also leverage all the hard work and accomplishments that I've had to help them get to a higher level. So what have you received in terms of legacy from your parents? And what are some of the things that you're thinking about for your kids as you continue to build and grow your family? What I learned uh, from my father in terms of, uh, you know, what he's taught me, my, his teachings, you know, which was sometimes direct and sometimes uh, more of times indirect was, you know, one has to be extremely humble. Uh, one has to be, you know, humble. One has to have a huge gratitude towards everyone, everyone in, in form of, you know, your people who've worked under you or people who are above you, you know. So that kind of gratitude, the sense of gratitude is very, very important. So that's what I teach my kids. You know, you have to be gratitude. You have to be, have the right gratitude, have to say that real thank you to the person who's working for you, your maid in the house. We have, we all have maids in India, you're aware. 
and you know you're you're you know the one who's who's the cook for you so the people like them who who are not really bringing a huge change in your life but when you have the sense of gratitude towards those people that's when you would have a gratitude towards all the people that you helped so i learned huge i learned this from my, my father that the sense of gratitude is extremely important you have to be kind you have to be humble uh, with everyone and you know i i think that's what you know keeps me going i uh, you know giving and taking in a, in a relationship i think it is always the giving first and then you know not expecting anything in return you know we've all uh, a lot of us in india have read this in from geeta that you know uh, you give and then don't expect anything in return and i think that is what has has motivated me what has worked in my favor is you know you give as much as you can and then things would all this is all all universe is, is rotating you know the earth is rotating so it's going to eventually come back to you all the all the right energies if you utilize are all going to come back to you other than what you know he's he's the business that he's he's created and you know the business that we are expanding i think i want to i i want to leave uh, these things into my kids memory and their and their behavior and their personalities that is what i think would be my achievement my uh, my my winning if they if they if they have the right attitude if they have the right personality towards life in addition to that with legacy uh you you've talked about kind of some some of the things that you've inherited not just the business right but how to live life are your intentions for your children to continue into the family business or is it whatever they decide to do hey go go to boarding school do what you want to do or is it kind of set in stone that they're going to join the family business so you know i really don't know how long i'm going to carry this business you know over the years our our way of doing businesses have changed so it's a difficult one but then i would have i i always tell my kids do what you love to do you know and love what you're doing uh you know enjoy the whole experience don't look at the destination if you're playing tennis enjoy the whole you know uh, aspect of it don't look at winning or losing and you don't think of you know doctors is not that you you ought to become it's you know your choice what you want to do you want to stay here you want to you know work somewhere abroad in a different country or whatever you like you know it is your life but be happy in whatever you're doing you know uh, enjoy the whole uh, you know that this is what we never learned ourselves you know this is the whole journey the enjoyment of the journey was was never taught to us you know we always looked at you know okay now i i have to look at the destination so i always said then look at the journey you know you want to become a footballer you want to play soccer go do it you want to do tennis my son is, is just started uh, you know learning golf and he's like he want i want to be a golfer i said go ahead be a good golfer enjoy the play uh, the golf my my daughter wants to, is doing shooting and she's you know you know she's just she's eight and she started playing tennis now she's like, I, i want to uh, 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 you know i want to uh, you know represent india in tennis i said go ahead and do that why not i i will support you in whatever way i i want to but then obviously some amount of studies and some amount of education is obviously important but then it is up to them you know i have uh, i have nothing uh, for them uh, you know to follow our footsteps in those things two things on what you said there first of all who likes what fun is in losing so you you do have to win so now i'm just that that's a personality thing for me but i i love to win i know you're a competitive guy too but the second thing you said is really the foundation of our podcast and the reason i'm able to talk about it 
is I spent a good part of my entrepreneurial career, like you said, focusing on the win. And for me, it wasn't about the money, although that was a great reward. Uh, But once you reach the top of a mountain, you look down and there's another valley. So you're going to go through that, that same process again. And so when you exit that business, a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs, they're focused on getting that goal. Oh, once I sell my business, I'll be happy. Or once I get this award, I'll be happy. And I missed a lot of the joys in the learning, in the process that now I want to meet other entrepreneurs that are where I was and saying, there's something you can learn every day and you can enjoy and embrace the failures and use them for you to build a strong foundation instead of carrying those things with you and letting them weigh you down. And those things that you're carrying with you, they can be wins or losses. Yeah, I'm sure you've talked to these people at a party or a dinner event. They're talking about, hey, 10 years ago, I did this. 15 years ago, go I did this. It's like, you need a new story. Like, where are you going? And that's really the the purpose of this podcast is not for me to talk about my previous success or you to talk about where the things that you've accomplished, but how do we inspire people to get to where it is that, that they, they want to be or where they're striving to be and walk in that full calling and, and, and their full identity. So as we close here today, I want to encourage all the entrepreneurs out there, business people, CEOs, and you don't just have to have the title to be a leader. You can lead wherever you are. And not all of us are uh, walking in our passion as an occupation, but you can use your occupation to inspire other passions and other people. So it's not that your vocation has to be what you... Uh, think that you're supposed to be doing. You can use that as a means to, like I said, inspire other people, make an impact around the world. So Dr. Aurora, thank you very much for your time. Our audience, there's great words of wisdom here on family, business, legacy, healthcare, and being an entrepreneur, just to learn things outside of what's going on here in the United States, but also in India. Uh, So I want to thank you a lot for your time and appreciate your friendship and congrats to you and your wife and your family. Thank you, Adam, for having me over. See you sometime soon. Thank you. I will see you in Dubai. It's a reason for me to go to the Burj Al Arab again. Let me know when you're there. Bye-bye. Thank you. Have a good day.